Well, good morning. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. It's the third scripture lesson in your bulletin, or if you have your Bibles, uh, it will be good to open up to Matthew chapter 18, where we will learn about a childlike faith uh, this morning. Let me open us with a word of prayer as we begin. Father, we come to you uh, this morning sitting at the feet of Jesus, seeking to learn of him. So we pray that by the power of the Spirit, you will illuminate the word of God for the people of God. We know that your word does not return to you void, but it accomplishes all that you sent it out for. So we ask you, Lord, to do so now, uh, through your word preached. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever really paid attention to children? Have you ever really paid attention to them? Maybe considered their actions, considered their habits, their gifts? Have you ever considered what comes easy for them, and therefore maybe what you can learn from them? Have you ever considered what is hard for them, which would teach you what you need to impart to them? Without kids, a community is lacking something, isn't it? like a household without a mother or without a father. Because children are a part of the community, they, by definition, add something to the community. And that can easily be overlooked sometimes. And so it's easy for us to forget kids, isn't it? It's easy, like it's easy for us to forget the poor, or the sick, or um, shut-ins, or the disabled, But children are a necessary component to a good community. And it's no different, of course, in this community, in the covenant community, in the church, in the kingdom of God. Now, although there, of course, are exceptions, because kids are sinners like the rest of us, children are an example of an aspect of godliness we can call humility, as we see in this text in Matthew. And Jesus uses a child to illustrate that very thing, humility. But as we begin, we must consider the ways children are often examples to us in this regard. And so three things here. First, children understand that they are reliant or dependent on others. They understand they are reliant and dependent on others. Secondly... They understand that they are in a lowly position. They understand they are in a lowly position compared to adults. In other words, they understand that adults are their superiors. They typically inherently know their place in the hierarchy, so to speak. Therefore, they consider others more significant than themselves often. Third, children are also often good reminders of a servant attitude or a servant's heart. In Romans, Paul exhorts the church to outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Well, kids want to outdo one another in service. And we should do the same. My children will be upset, very upset, which is not a good thing. But if I give a, 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 one of their siblings something to do and not them, why didn't you tell me to go grab your phone or go grab that book or... Go clean that or sweep that. Why didn't you tell me to do that? It offends them. 
because they want to serve also. They want to be useful to others. And so children understand that they are reliant, they understand they're in a lowly position, and they're good reminders of a servant's heart. And so Jesus uses a little child in our passage to call us to humility in this way. And so what we'll see today is this, that Jesus calls us to a childlike faith, not a childish faith. Jesus calls us to a childlike faith, not a childish faith. So our outline will look like this this morning. We'll see a foolish question in verse 1. In verses 2 through 5, we will see a wise answer. A foolish question and a wise answer. And so let's first draw our attention to this first point in verse 1. And it's here that we'll see this, that since we are all sons of the kingdom, we must not concern ourselves with rank or status. So here in verse 1, we see a foolish question from the disciples. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Another scene in Matthew helps us understand this question further in chapter 20 of Matthew. In that scene, the mother of James and John, the disciples, came to Jesus with them and asked if Jesus would let her sons sit at his right and left hand in the kingdom. And that's essentially the same question that the disciples here are debating in Matthew 18. Who's going to be ruling with Jesus? Who of the disciples will have authority over the other disciples? That's their question. Now, we know from the parallel accounts in Mark and Luke that this question the disciples asked Jesus was actually in their heads. This is something that they were arguing and debating in private and something that they were thinking about, and Jesus knew their thoughts. But now we must ask the question, why is it a foolish question? Why is this a foolish thing to inquire about? First, notice their misconception of the kingdom. The beginning of this section, Jesus foretells about his death in 17, uh, 23. The disciples don't get it. They are grieved in 17, 23, uh, but continue to show that they really don't believe that Jesus will die. They still are stuck on their preconceived notions that Jesus came to rule and crush the Romans with a sword. They don't understand that Jesus first came to serve and to be crushed by the wrath of God. Second, the context makes the foolishness of their question quite clear. Once again, what came just prior to, to this text in Matthew is helpful. In Matthew seventeen twenty four through 27, Jesus is teaching Peter. And Peter has a question about the temple tax. And Jesus tells him that they are free from paying it. Because, why? Children of kings are not taxed by the king. Because they're the children of the king. So Jesus tells them to pay it, uh, not because they owe the tax, but to not cause the temple tax collectors to stumble. And so Jesus is telling Peter, we're going to pay the tax, but know this, Peter, that you are free from it because you are a son of the kingdom. And so you see, this is a foolish inquiry because Jesus has already told them what their status in the kingdom of God is. And that is, they are sons of God. Sons of the king. What more do they need? What more could they want? Think about how silly it is, actually. Jesus tells you you're a son of the kingdom, and all you're concerned about 
as if you're going to be greater than the other sons ruling over them? Pretty foolish, isn't it? Sort of reminds me of the jealousy, it's different, but the jealousy of Joseph's brothers. They were concerned with rank and status, these disciples, when by grace they have received the rank and status of sons of the king. What more could they want? Third, this is a foolish question because it stems from a foolish heart. Remember what we read from Deuteronomy 8 in our first scripture lesson this morning. The Lord humbled the people of Israel. He let them be hungry in order to teach them that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The disciples then thought it would be easy. They didn't understand their hearts and the necessity for them to learn humility. They didn't think they needed to be tested. They didn't think they needed to suffer. They thought, well, we got the Messiah. Let's crush these Romans and rule over these fools with power and might. And they thought to themselves, I hope I have more power in the end than these other disciples. They forgot the word of God, which says over and over again, things like this from Proverbs 15.33 and 18.12, humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. Jesus, in our text then, is pointing out the foolishness of the disciples. They're missing the point. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, or excuse me, the other way. Did I say it right? (laughs) Good. I said it right. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Yes. So on this side of eternity, let us serve like our Lord by serving others until that precious day of the Lord where we will be served, as the old hymn says, where we will be served by our Lord with sweet manna all around. Now, being deeply concerned with rank or status is common to people in all generations. It's not, not a new thing. We, of course, see it in our day. Countless people buy things they can't afford because they want to be perceived as high-status individuals. They want to pretend that they're wealthy and rich when they're not. You have others who are high status, very wealthy, smart, maybe uh, like a high-ranking businessman, for example, who flaunt, flaunt what they have so that everyone knows that they are high status. And many of these people want you to feel, when you're around them, that they are better than you. They want you to know that. This is how the kingdoms of the earth work. This is how our culture works. Do whatever it takes to become a high-status person, culturally speaking, and then ride that wave until it crashes. This is how so many people live. The sinful human heart wants to exalt itself to a high status with wealth and power and then look in the mirror and say, it was all me. It was all me. But no, what does the Scripture say? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Said another way, if you treat yourself as more significant than others, you'll be punished. If you treat others as more significant than yourself, you will be blessed. You see, the disciples are missing the point, And we must ask ourselves, do we miss the point? Are we missing the point? Are we asking the wrong questions, desiring the wrong things? Do we forget why God saved us? Do you think God saved you so that you can be served 
or did he save you so that you will serve? For truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Christian, you cannot hide arrogance from the Lord. You can't hide your childish pride. The disciples wished they could, but they couldn't. And so we must all seek to have a childlike humility under the mighty hand of God. And stop concerning ourselves with rank and status. Instead, serve, love, live in light of the fact that the last will be first and the first will be last. God doesn't care about how mighty and strong you are. He cares about how loving, caring you are. He cares about if you have a servant's heart or not. Stop looking at your brothers and sisters in the church with jealousy, desiring a higher rank than them. This rank really is, in the church at least, in your head. God doesn't have that rank. He looks at the heart. Stop looking at your brother and sister in the church, annoyed that they're smarter than you or prettier than you or funnier or more social, whatever it may be. God's gifted them and blessed them in certain ways, and he has blessed you in certain ways. We are all sons of the kingdom, called to serve one another as true equals. So, Christian, if you are worried about status or rank, you'll not be able to imitate our Lord, who considered others more significant than himself. Remember from the famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not arrogant. Do not use the gifts God has given you, the wealth, the intelligence, and the like, to arrogantly impose your will on others in order that you are served. Rather, since we're all sons of the kingdom, stop concerning yourself with rank and status, inside or outside the church. If God happens to put you in a high position of authority and power, then like Christ, perform your duty with humility and a servant's heart. Mark 10 really helps us drive this point home when Jesus says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. This authority and ruling he speaks of here, he, there's a negative connotation to what he's saying. And he says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see that the foolish question, this was a real foolish question from the disciples. And Jesus showed them in the next section, the foolishness of their hearts, seeking their own personal rank and status above all. You see, our Lord had all the rank and status. Christ was the Word who became flesh, God with us, very God of very God, and yet He came not to be served, but to serve. And the disciples, as well as you and I, are sons of the kingdom and have all the status and rank one could ask for. But we are here not to be served, but to serve. So having seen their foolish question, let's consider verses 2 through 5. 
and Jesus' wise answer. And it is here that we will see that since little covenant children are examples of humility, we should learn from and welcome those who imitate their lowly estate. Here we see Jesus exhort the disciples to a childlike faith. Not a childish faith. There's a big difference. And they expressed a childish faith, didn't they? When they were bickering amongst themselves about who will rule over the other in the kingdom. And Jesus then calls a little child to himself. And places the child in the midst of the disciples. And here he's teaching an ancient truth to the disciples. One that's repeated over and over and over again throughout all of the scriptures. And one that the apostles will continue to say over and over again. But here he uses an illustration, the way Jesus often liked to do, and that of a little child. And notice also that that Jesus is rebuking the heart of the disciples who wanted to be Lord over the other brothers. But Jesus does actually tell them how to be great in the kingdom. He does answer the question. It's just not the answer that they thought it would be or maybe that they wanted He says, unless you turn, or unless you change, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He is saying, unless you experience an inward change, you won't even enter, let alone be great. Stop occupying yourself with this idea of being like kings, filled with power. If you exalt yourself, you will not be exalted. Instead, become like little children. He clarifies further in verse 4, where he says, Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest. More woodenly, you can say, whoever humbles himself like this child. But lowly position is surely a good way to put it. He's saying, stop debating who should be in the highest position. For you must become like children who are in a lowly position to even enter. You see, the poor, kids, the sick, disabled, these are ones that are lowly in our midst. And the call is this, that even if you are a billionaire, even if you're perfectly healthy, even if you're in perfect physical shape, in some sort of high office, whatever it may be, no matter who you are, Even if you have servants, you must become like one of them. Humble in a lowly position. The least among you is the greatest. And the disciples who are going to be the apostolic leaders of the church need to know that although they have authority in the church, they are to be as children. Lowly and humble examples to the flock, living in accordance with the fact that the least is the greatest And the last is the first, and that he who humbles himself is exalted by God. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about being the greatest. Don't worry about being the greatest. Be like a child, content in his position, under authority. A servant, humble, reliant upon the Father. And then you will be great. Stated another way by Peter many years later, Peter, who learned this from Jesus in person, of course, he was there, although it didn't click at the time, says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Peter learned the lesson eventually. 
The disciples had to learn that you don't get exalted without humility. You don't get exalted without suffering. You don't get exalted without serving. And Peter learned, if I am humble as my Lord taught us at the proper time, we will be exalted. And now we must notice that in 2 through 5, Jesus, he's talking about children, but specifically covenant children. Children of believers. If he was talking about uh, pagan children, maybe this illustration wouldn't apply in the same way. But that doesn't answer all of the questions. In verse 5, Jesus says, Whoever welcomes or receives one such child in my name welcomes or receives me. In verse 6 is the famous verse after our passage where Jesus says, uh, If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it's better that uh, there will be a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea. So who is Jesus speaking of here? Is he only speaking of kids? What is he speaking of? Notice he says, one such child. And so I think the clear answer is this, that Jesus is referring to humble disciples, the childlike disciples, the disciples who have a childlike faith, filled with humility. Of course, this includes children who are disciples. Of course. This includes welcoming and Jesus says, welcome one of these little ones. Yes, welcome the covenant children in our midst. But it also refers to more than children. Jesus is referring to those who follow him, who imitate the lowly position of a child in his illustration, you see. And that can be a disciple that is a child, of course. Just a chapter later, we read in Matthew 19, this text, which is very much connected then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. They didn't get it yet, did they? Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And so notice first that the disciples, again, they didn't learn the lesson. This is one of the reasons these two stories are so close together in Matthew. And taking these things together, it's as if Jesus is saying to the disciples, you want to hinder them, but unless you become like them, you're the ones that will be hindered from entering the kingdom. You must become like them. This passage helps us clarify the point then, that the kingdom of God belongs to covenant children and those who have the humble faith like the covenant children. And so do not reject those in a lowly estate. Welcome them, receive them, Jesus is saying. Whether that's a child, maybe someone suffering from a crippling illness. Rather, you are to welcome them in Jesus' name, as is right for a Christ follower to do. And also, we should understand that those in a lowly position are examples to us. Yes, of course, we must learn from older Christians, mentors, pastors, elders, everyone, but we often forget to learn from the children in the congregation. And this is exactly what Jesus commends in both of these passages. My kids have taught me a lot. Kids teach you a lot. That's definitely true. Let me say quickly that if you don't have kids... You have all these little brothers and sisters all around you in this church and probably in your family that you could learn from and who could also learn from you. As a side note, we need much 
uh, we need to cross generational lines much more often in the church. But my kids have taught me a lot about humility. One example happened a few weeks ago when Asher uh, was the last child to fall asleep. Uh, He began to ask me question after question after question about God and the Bible. I forget how it begun, but it was maybe an hour-long conversation. I sat on the bed. He was sitting on the floor. He asked me about the Trinity. He was very curious about that, about prayer, about uh, people who do not believe in Jesus, about hell, uh, and all sorts of things. Um, It was uh, quite an interesting time, and he couldn't get enough. He really couldn't get enough. And I thought, do I have that same attitude when I sit at the feet of Jesus, when I'm in his word, when I'm in prayer? He was an example of childlike humility and faith. A reminder to me of my need to be completely reliant upon my Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus by the strength of the Spirit. He helped me to become more like a child in regards to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Therefore, brethren, never forget that you have something to learn from every brother and sister in here. Young, old, poor or rich, male or female... Welcome all disciples, realizing your unity with them, never thinking you're beyond learning from a child or a new Christian or a college student or an elderly person or whatever it may be. You can learn from every person in the body of Christ. Love, again, love is not arrogant. Also, as I I said a, a minute ago, that Asher helped me to become more like a child, we must also realize that I helped him become more mature. Jesus, then, is not saying, he's not saying, hey, disciples, I want you to have an ignorant, immature faith. Not at all. He's not calling the disciples to a childish faith. Rather, he's commending something particular about the covenant children, that is, their humility. As we read earlier from Hebrews 5, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Solid food belongs to the mature who, because of habit, have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. The scriptures over and over again, this is just one example, call us to maturity and growth in the Christian life. Uh, Jesus wants us to be built up in the most holy faith. And so clearly Jesus desires his disciples to grow up in all maturity, knowledge of his word, grace and knowledge of himself. And that doesn't at all conflict with what Jesus is saying here. You must become like little children. It is the humble who grow in maturity, first of all. It is the mature thing to be humble. And so Jesus calls us to a childlike faith, not a childish faith. And so you see it goes both ways here. We all must become like little children as we grow up into the full stature of Christ with all humility. And so since little covenant children are examples of humility, we should learn from and welcome those who imitate their lowly estate. Of course, that includes them, the covenant children. And so to bring all of this together, what does it mean then to be like a child in the way that Jesus means it, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? It means this, that Christ's followers, three things, 
are to be reliant on God and the brethren. Reliant on God and the brethren. Two, to live in a lowly, humble way, even if you are in a high position. For you can still exercise the authority of your office with humility and meekness, whether that's political office or church office or you're a parent, CEO, whatever it may be. So be reliant on God, live in a lowly, humble way, and have the heart of a servant. This is what Jesus is commending. Brethren, what we have seen is Jesus redefining greatness. He's redefining greatness. The one who was rich became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. And surely his whole life redefined greatness, but especially his death on a Roman cross. The king of all the earth conquered through humbling himself. This is how it is in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says later in Matthew's gospel, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And this is exactly what our Savior, our mediator, himself did. As Paul is is exhorting the Philippian church to be humble, he says this. He uses Christ as an example and says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so you as well, brothers and sisters, as Peter says, humble yourselves, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This is what it means to enter the kingdom as a child. Enter the kingdom as one who is wholly reliant upon God, humbly living under his mighty hand, not seeking to be greater than all our brothers and sisters, but seeking to serve them, serve one another in all gentleness and love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word, your precious word that teaches us all that we need to believe and how to live. And we ask you, Father, that we all would be doers of the word, not simply hearers, deceiving ourselves. And so as we go forth, we pray, Lord, that you would drive your word deep into our hearts helping us to obey your commands. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.